This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Huzo. Huzo is an acronym for human sound. Huzo delivers uniquely enhanced human toning sounds through headphones as well as through pads placed on your major acupuncture meridians on your body, which are your wrist and your ankles, thereby introducing a specific modulated frequency that are balancing and harmonizing throughout your body. One session takes about 30 minutes, and during that time, a strange series of tones create a natural resonance in your body that Huzo claims counteracts the harmful EMFs, toxins, and stresses you are exposed to during the day or just normal living, all while balancing the body, leaving you with a clear head, improved health, better sleep, and the feeling of calmness and well-being. You can try one at www.thisishuzo.com slash rebel. Use the code REBEL25 to save $25. The folks at Huzo even have a great payment solution for you with terms up to 12 months. Check it out. I highly recommend this machine. It has changed my life and calmed me out. Thank you and enjoy this episode. The reason that people return to normal after one of these retreat experiences is that they didn't put enough work into the preparation before and the integration after. And so it's very easy to go on one of these retreats, but it's very challenging to fundamentally rewire our neural patterns. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast. In today's episode, I interview Jonathan D. Potter. Jonathan is the founder of Behold Retreats and advocates for elevating consciousness and working on ourselves as the most meaningful way to improve the world. As a thought leader in plant medicine, his priority is to guide others to maximize the benefits and to raise education and awareness on the subject of plant medicine. He enjoys complex problems, meditation, surfing, and is energized by big, bold ideas. Prior to founding Behold Retreats, Jonathan worked as a strategy consultant for Capco Thailand, supporting Fortune 500 companies with their digital strategy and technology transformations. Behold Retreats facilitates journeys for leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs to rapidly accelerate personal growth, discover deeper purpose, and to sustain the transformational benefits of plant medicine like ayahuasca and psilocybin. Their programs provide safety, confidence, and expert guidance to eliminate the guesswork with life-changing private and group retreats available in many locations. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's a good one. In the words of the Grateful Dead, what a long, strange trip it's been. Jonathan 
Dr. Potter, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach podcast this afternoon. Thank you, Tom. It's uh, lovely to be here. And thank you so much for reaching out to me on this topic. I've been wanting to do an episode on this topic for some time now. But before we dig into this topic of in the world of hallucinogenics and hallucinogens and peyote and ayahuasca, how did you go from corporate America into starting a retreat center and specializing in these microdosing and these retreats of hallucinogenics? And it just amazes me. Why you were in corporate America and you're working for a Fortune 500 company, right? Yeah. How did yeah. you? How, how did this come about? <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for asking, Tom. So, so yeah, I think I'll I'll start all the way at the beginning. So I come from actually super kind of hippie spiritual parents. And I grew up in Hawaii. And uh, of course, you know, Hawaii, Hawaii is a beautiful and amazing place, but it's got a, a lot of substance abuse, honestly, with, you know, alcohol, with various substances, you know, uh, uh, methamphetamine has unfortunately hit Hawaii very hard. And so from a young age, I actually rejected all substances quite completely. You know, the the narrative that we're taught in school, just say no, really aligned to what I could see around me in terms of the energy associated with any substances. So I was just like, okay, this is this is not something good to get involved in. And equally, I also kind of rejected anything spiritual that my parents had to share with me in terms of, you know, how they saw the world. And so that kind of led me, I went and actually studied in New Zealand for a while and then led me into the corporate world. So I was working in consulting and strategy consulting for uh, a number of years. And, you know, I was, number one, I was an atheist. I was having some success in the corporate world, climbing the ladder. You know, there's always new levels in the ladder for you to chase after. So there's a part of my competitive brain that was enjoying participating in that whole game. And so, yeah, I found myself, you know, big team. I had a team of about 120 consultants, five years. I was, you know, getting the partner promotion the next year and everything was kind of falling into place. I had a good life, uh, honestly speaking, but, you know, I was flying a lot between New York and Chicago and Hong Kong, but I just felt like something was missing. Um, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror one morning, um, and this was about five years ago now, I was in Hong Kong and I looked myself in the mirror and I, it's just like, is this it? Is, is, is that what, is this what life is about? I just kind of keep working and I've got this great girlfriend and great friends, like, but, but is this it? And so I decided to take a year off. And, um, you know, at the time my work was like, Oh, don't leave. You know, you've got everything, just everything's perfect. So we set up for you, just, you know, stay, stay for another year. And I was like, no, 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 this is, I gotta go. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I traveled through South America for the majority of that year. And as part of that, I found my way to an ayahuasca with, retreat with uh, two friends who came and joined me, one from South Africa and another from San Francisco. And that was just, I mean, it really blew the door off the hinges and then leveled the building uh, within the space of wow. point, point zero 0.01 seconds. And um, it, was, uh, it was a very challenging experience, to be honest. It was probably two most challenging nights of my life. It opened the door to spirituality. Uh, it was humbling in about a thousand and one ways, you know, in terms of taking me through my life and all of the good things, the good impacts and effects right. that I had on people, which was really beautiful. And then all the bad. So I was shown, you know, my mother's face, pride, joy, shame, anguish, and then how I had caused each of those, those emotions 
in my mother, uh, in my father throughout the course of my life, not in the first person, in the third person. So I was actually able to see how I was acting, uh, interacting with other people and how I was, you know, creating good or creating things not so good, which is very powerful experience. Wow. Yeah. I I mean, I, corporate America is a a lot of stress is, and a lot of stuff goes along with that. And you, it gets to be pretty cutthroat and not very nice. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I'm glad you said that because that's where I was, you know, I was competitive. I was impatient. I was ruthless. I was easily frustrated. And I always thought the problem was somewhere outside of myself. Whereas fundamentally the problem, the problem was inside yourself. (laughs) I I agree. I find, I I still struggle with that. I'm sure everybody does. A lot of people do, especially over the last, this last year has been almost a year now. Well, it has been a year now. It's been crazy. Yeah. And, and I think we've become as a society, not very nice people. Including sure. myself, I, I mean, I I, I bashed the, the mask, and you know, I'm always talking crap, and you know, I find myself going, "Wait a minute, that's not who I am." And yeah. so, when you reached out to me, I was thinking to myself, well, first of all, you know, when I, I grew up in the, I graduated high school in '77, so the '70s were, you know, hallucinogens and acid and LSD and mushrooms and uh, blotter acid and all kinds of crazy stuff, but there was no microdosing involved with my use of this stuff. It was yeah. like, okay, wait a minute, let's just do the whole thing. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. So, and you know, actually, it's funny because I've actually I've tried microdosing like two or three times, and it, it just hasn't done anything for me. Okay. And it's and there was funny. I saw just a couple of days ago. I saw a post from Psychedelics Today saying that it might be actually that microdosing is purely the placebo effect. So there was a research that really implied Ooh. that there's no difference between if you're doing microdosing, quote unquote, okay. the right way, and the placebo effect. Which again, it just points to the power of our minds. Like, don't get me wrong. I think power. It seems like a lot of people have very positive experiences with microdosing. I've never had any. Okay any good shift with it. It's just, right. and I've spoken to others that are like, oh, that's, it's not really worked for me. So yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it's such an interesting topic and such a softer way to, um, to approach this for right. those that it can work. But what's really interesting to me is that not just with microdosing, but with ayahuasca for sure, is the fact that there's a lot of healing spirituality that go along with these. Yeah. You know, I, microdosing at a higher level or ash, ayahuasca, which mm-hmm. we'll get into in a minute. But I want to clear the air before we go. is because I posted on Facebook before we, I knew you were coming on. When I And this is what I posted. When I say plant-based medicine, what comes to your mind? Mm. Okay, so the answers were CBD, of course. Yeah. Herbs, vegetables, people, you know, eat, going vegan type of. So it was interesting. So before we move forward. Let's clear the air on the term plant-based medicine. Yeah, sure. Um, and, you know, I think in, in fairness to the responders um, on your, your Facebook, it's a very broad category, right? Um, and, you know, there's Ayurvedic and Chinese medicine traditions and you know, plant-based right. traditions that originate from plant-based medicine traditions that originate from virtually every place in the world, of course. Now, 
there, of course, there's kind of two terms. There's psychedelics, which, you know, has a certain baggage in association. And so more recently, we've seen a bit more of a shift to the description of, of plant medicine, which I think is fair. Now, generally speaking, you know, in order to clarify what can be helpful is the word entheogen. And entheogen means these class of medicines that have a psychoactive slash psychedelic effect in terms of you know what, what it does for our brains, like I, I like ayahuasca, exactly. So the, the peyote, entheogens, yeah, entheogen plant medicines that we would generally be referring to would be exactly. So it would be you know on the softer end of scale of the scale, it would be things like yeah, San Pedro and peyote, uh, psilocybin. Although you know that can be very powerful as well, depending upon the dose. And then into you know there's more DMT uh, based plant medicines, which is like ayahuasca. And there's many other plants that also have DMT within them. And then also there's a, a plant from uh, Africa, from Gabon called uh, Iboga, which is super, super effective uh, in the treatment of addictive disorders. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't get much airtime, but it's also very powerful. And there's many other, you know, plant medicines out there. And, you know, there's a lot of people who also clarify that psilocybin magic mushrooms is in fact not a plant medicine because it's a, it's a fungus. And, you know, officially speaking, that's right. right. But it's just, it is a we fungus, try to right. simplify for the sake of language, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> so I want to get into DMT and, I, and ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things like we're, I share with you before we started is that, is the movie Wonderlust has a scene with Jennifer Aniston in it where she, it's the tripping your balls off scene where she goes to this retreat center in Georgia here, near close to Atlanta actually, and which still exists. They were under some surveillance for a while, but uh, it still exists. And she drank this ayahuasca mm-hmm. and basically she climbed up to the top of the tree and it's like, I'm tripping my balls off. And she starts to, she goes to fly off the tree and lands flat on her face. Like, oh, God. Yeah. So that was just in the movie. So, but before we go into ayahuasca, I want, share with us your first experience with plant based medicine or the, yeah. So, you know, I really didn't have any experience with any psychedelics up until that point. I was 33 at the time, 32, 33. And it was, you know, I was, a bit worried. There was some fear there. And I think that's normal. And I think that's healthy. Even, even now that I've done, you know, close to 40 ceremonies over the five years, there is, there's always some, like, there's this feeling of you're going into the unknown. Right. And so like any meaningful adventure, there's some butterflies in the stomach in relation to that. And so, yeah, so my, my first experience as I shared was, was with two friends in Peru. Three of us had profoundly different experiences but we all benefited massively. So my first friend, he, um, he actually has, unfortunately, at that time, he had a bit of a history of, I would say, substance abuse. He would probably have disagreed with me. Um, and, but he's a super lovely man. And so for him, he, he honestly, he didn't take the ayahuasca experience very seriously. So he was, you know, smoking from his vape pen the night before and, you know, this sort of, <laughs> you're supposed to come into it very clean. Right. And so he had a very challenging physical experience, right? Because the ayahuasca not only does 
healing work on our neurology and neurophysiology, but it detoxifies the body quite heavily. And so for him, it was a very physical experience with no visuals, no, no visions as such. It was just very challenging for him physically. Now, in contrast, my other friend uh, from San Francisco, he had very powerful visions, but a very transcendent and positive experience relative to say my own, which was much more challenging. And so, you know, he was up there in the heavens with retractable wings, you know, leading a, leading a volley of birds of all of his loved ones flying behind him. And, you know, it was a very transcendent, predominantly a very transcendent experience for him. Whereas for me, it was, wow, it was just very humbling lessons. It was, you know, also very physically challenging, but also very spiritually, emotionally challenging. But um, you know, it's it's the experience itself was was very profound. But what ended up happening was that over the course of the weeks ahead after the retreat, I just slowly returned to normal. And this is super common with these experiences that people go, they sign up, you know, click, click, click. They go sign up for a retreat. Yeah, I'm totally in. I go for my retreat. I have this profound, incredible potentially transformational experience. And then I go back to my life with the fluorescent lighting and the people who annoy me and traffic and da, 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 and everything returns exactly to normal. And I was on that cycle for about three and a half years. So I was spending tens of thousands of dollars. I was spending you know, weeks on end at different retreat centers around the globe, all the ones that were rated five-star. And, you know, honestly, I felt like I was making good progress because it's in relative terms, right? I mean, compared to attending some, you know, weekend meditation retreat or some of the other things that I was doing, I was like, okay, this is really much more beneficial to me in terms of its potential. But then after about three and a half years, I was lucky enough to find some real experts in this space that only do this work privately. And, you know, if, if over three and a half years, I had made this much progress within a week or two weeks, I had made that much progress with them. So I just made exponentially more progress with them in a very short space of time. And so that's part of what really motivated me to move into this space, which was, okay, I think, you know, having spoken with friends and other, other people who had done some of this work, I really came to recognize that that story of like going to a retreat center, return to normal, going to a retreat center, return to normal is, is very much the norm. Hmm. Interesting. So Let's talk about the benefits of psychedelics or plant-based medicine. What are some of the uses for and the benefits of this? Yeah, so generally speaking, people come with three or four different motivations. So the first is um, healing work, which you alluded to before, right? And like it or not, pretty much all of us have some of this work to be done. There's so many different layers of this work. People, you know, sometimes people have a certain word association with the word healing. They're like, oh, no, like, that's not for me. Right, right. <laughs> but healing work. The second is um, creativity, right? Creativity, I'm going to combine these, creativity and growth, right? Which has helped me become a better person. And that's really about, you know, that's honestly about peeling off the layers of what we are not. Um, so that you can come to realize what what you are. So what are your unique strengths and gifts? We all have them. Finding your passion and purpose, right? A lot of people, especially those in the corporate world, they've been at it for 20, 30, 40 years. They don't, they just sometimes still don't feel that they found their their thing to helping people find passion and purpose and deepening the spiritual connection, right? So can reconnecting with source or, or deepening connection with source. So those are the primary motivations that people come with. And, 
in terms of the benefits, you know, I, I often like to contextualize it in in the context of where most people start their journey. So there's a few dynamics that I think are important, which is one, pretty much all of us have intergenerational trauma, which is that like our parents were traumatized, they traumatized us. And, you know, that, that whole dynamic is played on for generations and generations. So it's very common to uncover traumatic childhood experiences, which are limiting us um, and manifesting in our everyday character. Um, so for me, you know, I, I had dream childhood, honestly speaking, and there's nothing else I could have wished for. But even still, I had suppressed and repressed some childhood abuse from someone in the community that I had just completely blocked out. And I, you could have asked me on a therapist's couch for 20 years. I don't think I would have unlocked that. Like it was really, it was really deep in there. And, you know, it's clear that my four-year-old brain correctly identified that experience because it really blocked it out. And so what these plant medicines do is they they promote what's called neurogenesis. So it grows new brain cells and then it reconnects brain cells. And so as that is, you know, physically taking hold, taking place in the brain, then it's common to uncover some of these past forgotten or repressed experiences. And so there's a lot to, you know, process in in those moments uh, when that takes place. That's awesome. I mean, that's really intense. It is very intense. And I mean, we all have layers that, I mean, I work with a, a shaman myself a, a lot, once a month, basically, I go, but, and we peel back the layers of, and this is without the use of a plant-based medicine. This is just digging in and saying, okay, what, what's bothered, what's going on inside there that's doing this, you know, and just peeling it. So let's talk about ayahuasca for a minute, because this contains one of the, the molecule we already talked about a little bit, DMT, mm-hmm. which is a comes from it's a basically it comes from the amino acid tryptophan. Yeah. So, but it actually has hallucinogenic properties. The DMT does. Yeah. So let's dig into that. And, and is this the is this what you use primarily? Is the ayahuasca? Yeah. You know, it's where to begin with ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah. So. So it's unfortunate that ayahuasca, it's getting a lot of attention from people who are interested in the experience, but it's not, unfortunately, it's not getting very much interest from the scientific community. And, and there's a few reasons for that. So one, ayahuasca has actually 463 or sometimes even more compounds within the medicine. It's an incredibly complex medicine. Okay. Um, and you know, there's DMT, I think, is one of the more obviously interesting and, and profound compounds within that. There's another that's that's called harmine, which also has strong neurogenetic effects and also really helps with uh, cell cellular health. So there's some evidence now that harmine actually basically kills any unhealthy cells and it bonds nicely with healthy cells. So it does good things to good cells and it does bad things to bad cells, which is, which is amazing because all of the, uh, I'm going to use the word, the C word, all of the cancer treatments that we've got out there generally do bad things to your bad cells and bad things to your good cells. Whereas harmony looks like 
it really it really is able to distinguish and, and do very powerful things. So unfortunately, because it's, you know, because ayahuasca has got these 463 compounds in it, it doesn't really fit our Western obsession with compound isolation, right? Whether it's, you know, you hear it even in CBD and psilocybin, we're always trying to, in the scientific world, we're always trying to find what's the magic, you know, what's the magic molecule, what's the silver bullet so that we can control for variables and we can control for dosage so that we can, you know, establish a, you know, a, a controlled clinical trial and, and dot, dot, dot. And that's, <laughs> right. you know, our, our kind of Newtonian deterministic scientific method, I think, is actually costing us uh, in many ways rather than benefiting us. And so, you know, ayahuasca itself, it's prepared different. There's actually three different ayahuasca vines. There's a black, a red, and a yellow. And so those actually have quite different properties in of themselves. And then, you know, various plant medicine traditions also combine the two plants that come together to make ayahuasca, often with a third, sometimes even with a fourth plant. So when we talk about ayahuasca, we're actually talking about this very complex ecosystem of different medicines. And then, of course, even if you've got someone like, you know, one of our facilitators, he's been brewing ayahuasca himself for 30 years. He, you know, apprenticed for that duration under a maestro who is now 102 years old. Wow. Uh, and, and, and even though he's been doing this for 30 years, each ayahuasca, you know, brew is still different because every plant was different because it grew in a different place, which means it had different chemical makeup. So, you know, there's no kind of predictability as such. And so that really doesn't fit our, our model. But, you know, certainly it's, it's a very powerful medicine. It's one that we do work with a lot. It's, it's where we see a lot of demand. I think as if and when people decide that something like ayahuasca, it's right for them. It's important that they really think deeply upon why they think it's right for them. So de develop a really deep sense for themselves of why, why am I drawn to this? What's, what am I hoping to, to get from this experience? Because I think, you know, when we do so, the plant medicine is really able to respond in kind and it responds, it responds very well to our intentions when we set them in a deep and, uh, in a meaningful way. So just thought I'd set that kind of frame and then happy for you to take the, the conversation. Uh, no, I mean, I, I just kind of clear. So what, what, what are some of the psychedelics you use at, with Behold Retreats? Yeah, so predominantly we work with ayahuasca and psilocybin. Those are the two that um, clients generally feel most drawn towards. There are some others that we also work with. So Tepescuite is one that's not very well known, but it's uh, it's DMT based, but shorter acting. So kind of 20 to 40 minutes for the, the peak of the experience. And then um, San Pedro also. Um, We've done a couple of uh, San Pedro retreats for our clients as well, uh, which I think is an amazing, incredible medicine, very heart opening uh, experience. But I think it just needs like it needs a little bit of brand ambassadorship or something so that more people are interested in the in the experience. Yeah, you don't hear about that one much. You don't. You really don't, which I think is a pity because, you know, especially for those people in the in the corporate world, I think it's a very nice place to start because it's 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 heart oriented. So, how, how do you decide what dose and what substance you're going to or plant medicine you're going to use for a person? Yeah, it's a good question. So, we always see our role as facilitating the decision making of our clients, right? Okay. So, some of our clients want the full jungle immersion, you know, mud under the eyes, eco, you know, and right. that's great. That's beautiful. 
other clients of mine, friends of mine that come from cities, you know, say from Hong Kong or, or New York. And you know, they're like, look, this is already kind of a, a, quite a big adventure for me. Like, I really want to be white walls and like no further than 20 feet away from the latte machine. And it's like, okay, I, I get, I get you. You know, you want to be really, com- you want to be really comfortable. I get it. I get it. And that's, and either one of those is, is fine and, and, and is beautiful. But um, in terms of, um, so, so the, quite a broad variety of different experiences and, and medicines that we facilitate in, in terms of the dosage, um, what we, tend to do is is to dose based upon a number of different factors. So th- there's, you know, what is the person's psychological history? What's their history with, with plant medicines, if any? So sorry. So th- yeah, so there's a couple of different ways that we approach dosage. Um, so one is understanding a person's psychological history, understanding any history with plant medicine. Do they consider themselves a sensitive person or not really? You know, some people, they drink one coffee and they're wow. Uh, other people, they could drink seven and they're still sitting there going, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't feel it. So, you know, there's a number of questions that we take people through to understand, you know, what could be potentially the right dose for them. You know, often with a first ceremony, there's a couple, you know, usually within a, a ceremony that's on a retreat, there's a couple a couple chances to drink within a given evening, right? So a person's first experience with plant medicine, then, you know, they're going to get a smaller dose and then they're going to have a chance to drink more later in the evening if they want to to go deeper and that's and that's a nice way of doing things right because it just you don't feel that pressure like oh i need to i need to go full force at the at right. the word like no, no no let's let's take our time here and and that's why you know when clients of ours go on 10 day retreats instead of um or two week retreats instead of one week retreats i'm always so excited for them because it just allows a different relationship with the plant medicine rather than you know if you're there for seven nights and there's four ceremonies you're really like Okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my money's worth, right? And, and so uh, there's an inclination to like you know really get after it, as it were. Versus if there's a ten day or a two week retreat, you know you might do a couple ceremonies and then have a couple two or three quiet days and then do another one and you know have a, a more natural progression, if you will. Okay, okay. So you don't do it by weight, then you just do it by let's do this. Let's walk through the process of. I want to come to your retreat center and do one of these. Yeah. So we take a big step back and uh, we do three weeks before a retreat, a week or 10 day, two week retreat. And then we do three weeks afterwards. And the reason that we do that is that the reason that people return to normal after one of these retreat experiences is that they didn't put enough work into the preparation before and the integration after. And so it's very easy to go on one of these retreats, but it's very challenging to fundamentally rewire our neural patterns. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? Our brains have become so compartmentalized in the modern world because it's just overwhelmed by the complexity that it's met with each day that it's begun to take shortcuts. And initially those shortcuts are serving us, but then as they become super highways, those shortcuts are being taken at the expense of all the other, you know, all the other paths that are available in our brain, which is really important. And that's, you know, that's the function of our brain is to be neuroplastic rather than, you know, deterministic, if that makes sense. So what we do is to provide a lot more guidance upfront for number one, for our clients to really get clear on where they're going to be in say three months time or six months time. Like, you know, there are, there are improvements to your quality of life, whether that be health, right? Physical, emotional, and spiritual. 
uh, whether that be relationships, you know, the quality of your relationships, your passion for the work that you're doing and, you know, abundance in your life, all of those sorts of things. So we really guide our clients to become very clear on where they're going to be in X period of time. And then secondly, we also provide some, some guided self-inquiry uh, as well as some coaching to help them really spot what are their mental and emotional blind spots. And we all have them, right? And so we really go deep with our clients and, and the coaches that lead our program are the same that gave me my big breakthroughs after years of, you know, poking around at these different retreat centers. And so it's coaches that have led as many as they have, you know, they've guided 1500 plus people over decades. And so they're very adept at quickly getting people to a place where they can see things about themselves that they've never seen before. You know, so for example, one of our, one of our clients is, uh, she was stuck in a little bit of a victim story. And even hearing those words and saying, yes, you're right, I am stuck in a victim story is the beginning of a completely different dynamic for, for that person, right? Because the moment they see it for themselves, it's like, okay, now I see it. And now I say something and I go, oh, that was part of my victim story. And so you just become more conscious and aware of your own patterns. Uh, and so it's, it's quite common actually for our clients to eat to have meaningful shifts even ahead of a retreat, right? Begin to repair some of those relationships with self, with others, you know, reducing the self-judgment or at least becoming more aware of the self-judgment, which is so common in all of us. You know, the National Science Foundation showed that your average person has between 12 and 60,000 thoughts per day. Almost 100% of those thoughts are about I, me, my, right? So it's just about me. Then uh, about... I think the numbers, 95% of those thoughts are repetitive. So it's just the same thoughts on loop over and over again. And 85% of those thoughts are negative. So we don't, often these patterns are so ingrained that we can't even see them, right? So, you know, we, we come back home and, we, oh, I should have, I should have gone and picked something. I should have gone and picked this up from there. And that's, that's, that's actually, it's so simple, but it's a, it's a negative self-judgment. Hmm. You know, it's something that I should have dot, dot, dot is a negative self-judgment. And so, you know, as people come to see these things for what they are, you know, they can stop operating from a place where there's a gap, right? We, we constantly operate from a place where it's like, oh, well, once I'm here, I'll be happy. Once I'm there, I'll be happy. And start operating from a place of like, I'm perfect as I am. And the paradox of life is that I can improve and I will improve because we're all here to evolve. And so we really help clients make those, begin to make those shifts ahead of a retreat, come in with very clear intentions for the retreat. And then the retreat is really about letting go of those things that are no longer serving us and embodying those things that we know are our true nature, right? Those things that we're bringing to us within a, a, a space of times in terms of our health, our relationships, our purpose, our abundance, all of those things. And so when we do that right, when we do that well, the ability for plant medicine to bring to us the things that we need to hear and see is very powerful. So that's the pre-workup before you go to the retreat. Yeah. Okay. And that lasts about three weeks, a month? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So what is the legality of these substances? Yeah. So we only do retreats in countries where they are either legal or decriminalized. Right? Okay. So they are permitted. Now, as we were speaking about just before we kicked off here, and I'm, I'm glad that you, you raised that, which is one unfortunate dynamic is that because this work is unregulated, it means that anyone can do it, right? It means right. that you need to you know, put a hat on, stick a feather in your hat, label yourself a shaman, and then you can just start serving people medicine. And there are 
you know, don't get me wrong, the overwhelming majority of people who are working in this space, they have in their hearts, they have the right intention. The question that I would always ask is, do they have the right skill? Now, one of the funny dynamics in relation to this is that almost universally, people think that they're working with someone who's highly skilled. And because the experiences themselves are very profound. Now, I would, you know, to, to any of your, your guests listening, I would say that almost universally, that's not the case. There are very few expert practitioners in, in this work. And one of the ways that I always share with people, you know, of course, you know, we're here to help if, if so inclined. But like what I, one of the tools that I like to give to people so that they can help find their own really transformational experience, like properly transformational experience, is don't ask about the experience itself. Like forget, forget the retreat, right? Ask about the transformation that has taken place in this person over a duration of time, right? Whether it's been three months, six months, or a year. Where were you one year ago in terms of your all of the you know all of the aspects and dimensions of your life? And where are you now? And it should be if you're founding, if you found someone who's going to be able to give you appropriate guidance, it should be incredibly clear how many profound positive changes have come into their life in terms of all the things that I mentioned before, health, relationships, da, 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 you know, but what happens is that people get they're like, oh, wow, that was a really profound experience. I really like this guy because I've had a really, or a girl, because I've had a really profound experience with him. They must be an expert. They seem really nice. And that was what was happening for me. I was going and seeing all these experts and they all seemed like really nice people, well-intentioned, et cetera. Um, but they didn't, they just didn't fundamentally have the skills that are required to help people really make transformational changes to their lives. So I always tell people, yeah, just forget about the retreat, forget about that listen to the transformation on an individual basis. And if you're meeting with someone and they say, oh yeah, I've helped so many people, blah, blah, blah. Fine, great. Okay. Reference call, right? Get on the call with two or three, don't be shy to ask for two or three people who they think their lives they've really changed. And then see where that, are you living in the same, even questions like, are you living in the same house? Are you doing the same type of work? If everything sounds pretty much the same, they haven't, you know, don't get me wrong. You can improve your life without having, you know, big changes. You right. know, that's definitely true. But like, you really want to understand the shift in mindset and perspectives and, and quality of life on in a holistic way, rather than, oh yeah, that he's, he's a, he or she's a really great shaman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a great experience. <laughs> wow. So I'm assuming, and this is, you know, I, I don't like to make an assumption, but with the popularity of this, finding good facilitators is becoming increasingly difficult because people, let's face it, we all want to chase, we all chase that shiny, we have that shiny object syndrome, you know, are like, oh, I want to be a coach or I want to do this. And uh, so he can do it, I can do it, you know. So that's got to be challenging for you running these retreats at such a high level. And how many retreats do you run a year? I think last year we did 12. Okay. But we, we only had a half year last year, so it was still a relatively new new business. Okay. Um, experienced people uh, guiding us, but a new business. Uh, and this year, I think we'll, we'll do a lot more than that. And where are they? So we have, at the moment, we have retreats in Costa Rica, Mexico, Peru, and the Netherlands. And we've done one in Ecuador as well. Okay. Yeah. So how many people do you staff for a, a retreat? Yeah, it, it depends, right? So... The, Clients choose to do this either in a group setting or okay. in a private setting. 
So for, you know, for some of our private retreats, we've even had staff of like 12 people just helping two people, right? So massive villa on the beach and, you know, full staff and chef and da, 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 and, and very five-star sort of experience. And then we've also got, you know, much kind of uh, more eco uh, Amazon jungle immersion experiences where there's five or six staff for a group of five or six. Uh, and then we do a few like slightly, slightly larger groups as well. So it really, it really depends upon uh, the format. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what about, so what are some of the myths of this? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. There's so many. I mean, I talked about the one with her, Jennifer flying out of the tree. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure that, that, I'm sure that goes through people's minds. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are, there are, tr- there are real stories of people having these experiences and thinking they can fly in and, and that's the end of it for them, unfortunately. So, you know, the context is everything, right? The spirit world responds with, in- to your intention. And so, you know, Setting a week aside for yourself, go to go deep with yourself, to really understand yourself in the right sort of environment is, is really transformational. On the other hand, you can, you know, spend a hundred dollars and go have an experience, right? Right. Um, and and so the energetic exchange is actually important. Uh, and I don't say this even as a businessman, but I say this as, you know. Your investment in your own spiritual development from an energetic perspective, and one good way to indicate that is monetarily, right? If, on the other hand, you decided to go and plant trees with all of your weekends for a few months, for example, right? And that was your spiritual commitment to this experience. And, you know, you began meditating it for 30 minutes or an hour every morning and really, you know, focusing in on your attention. That's a big energetic exchange as well. So it doesn't necessarily need to be entirely monetary, but, but a monetary commitment, it's amazing. The moment that people make a deposit on their experiences is the moment that the spiritual realm begins to respond and to shift things with and for them. And initially when I heard this, I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic at times. And when I heard this, I was like, it sounds like a good little sales tactic there, but it really <laughs> is true. Like it, right. <laughs> it really is true. I'm like, wow, that's, this is incredible. You hear, you hear some of the stories. It's, it's incredible. Um, but coming back to the myths, um, but there's so, there's so many, I, where, to, where to even begin? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think the the one I'd like to um, the one one I'd like to start with is that psychedelics in of themselves are positive. They're not. Plant medicines are not positive. They're neutral, and so you can have really bad experiences. You can have really good experiences. But generally speaking, unless you treat the tool with a great deal of respect and, and honor you're probably going to land back where you are. And so that kind of ties back to the conversation we're having, which is like the motivation, the intention, the context is so important for how these things are used. I think the other dynamic is um, another myth is that these are not all five-star experiences. So if you go to any of the retreat aggregator websites, like you know, equivalent of Airbnb for these sorts of retreat centers, what you'll see, Tom, is that they are all five-star experiences, universally 4.9 stars or five stars. Now, if you went on Airbnb or hotels.com and you saw that everything was five-star, then you know, you fundamentally this thing isn't serving its purpose, right? Right. <laughs> right. So yes, number one. So, but, but you have to, you know, it's worth taking the time to dive into that. So number one, 
the customers are having very profound experiences because they are rating these experiences as five star. And this again matches my own story. So they are having profound experiences. Number two, what that means is that your average customer is not able to discern from a one-star experience and a five-star experience because you just don't know what you're looking for. This is you know, very complex, deep work. And so unless someone has, fun, has really trained you to a point where you know what good looks like, you're not going to be able to see it. So that's another dynamic. The, the other unfortunate, the other myth that I would say is that you can really benefit without doing mental and emotional work. Now, our ego is super, super sneaky, and it's really highly capable of allowing us to bypass and have very transcendent, powerful spiritual experiences without doing the difficult, more difficult mental and emotional work, right? So go look at any psychedelic community and tell me whether that's an example of thriving and flourishing people. Most of us would say no. There's all sorts of dysfunctional dynamics, and you know, childhood trauma, and all those kind of dynamics are playing out in these communities. So, again, it's not that the medicines themselves are are going to provide all the answers. And so, you know, it's it's very common what we see, and, and actually, it's been surprising. A lot of the clients that have come to us have already done a lot of work with psychedelics, and they're still not doing so good. Uh, and that's because they have they've skipped the mental and emotional work. And part of that is because it's very difficult to find expert guidance that's able to do the the mental and emotional work in the lead up before and after uh, one of these powerful experiences. And so, you know, for absolutely anyone experience, you know, tempted to experience something like an ayahuasca retreat, make sure you have high quality coaching or therapy before and after, because that is fundamentally what makes the difference. What people often, they, they feel spiritually enlightened and they've still got horrible relationships in their life. And you're going, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting because I I was, you know, I, first of all, your website's amazing. Thank you. Uh, Your blog, your blogs alone are full of great information. And I saw some webinars here. One thing though, when I was Googling ayahuasca retreat centers, Uh there's a lot of, of weird ones out there that I don't even know how to put it politely. They're, I mean, I just, this is one of those things where if you're going to invest in yourself, because this is an investment in yourself, which people really need to understand because, you know, this isn't something you're going to go pay $300 for and go away on a weekend and drink ayahuasca with and do a drum line or whatever those things are and come home on Monday and go back to work and say, oh, I had a great weekend. You know, this yeah. is an investment on changing yourself and yeah. and getting clarification or in your case spirituality and the, your first one you said you found your was a very yeah. big spiritual awakening so yeah. I, I think that's important that people understand that some of these ones that i saw on google on dr google could be quite dangerous and also you know give you that one-star rating after you're done. You know, you might have a five-star rating when you leave there. Yeah. But on Monday, you wake up and say, oh, that was, very, that was fantastic. But when you're still dealing with the same baggage you went in with, it really wasn't a five-star. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of these places also do quite large groups, right? 15, 20, right. 50, even 100 people in the room at the same time doing this medicine. And this is very powerful, energetic work, right? And so some people actually 
pick up energies that that they didn't go into that experience with and that can actually be very negative and you know some of the some of the healers that I've worked with in the past that's that was actually kind of their specialization is like if you've come out of one of these retreats and you feel worse than you are then we're here to help you and and so that was actually their kind of niche is like yeah it's easy to get messed up at these centers um it's it's an unfortunate reality so what do you think is like a say a group setting uh-huh. What is a, a good number to look for if you're going to do a group retreat? Like you, I don't want to. I don't myself. I wouldn't do a hundred people because that'd be kind of weird. Yeah. No. Is there is there a good number to look for? I would say I would say ten or less is is great, okay. uh, unless it's a very experienced practitioner that is able to manage the energies. Then okay. ten or less is, is best. You know. Yeah. Similar to you, like I don't think you could pay me any amount to go and do this with a hundred people. Personally speaking, I don't think I will ever do it again in a group setting unless it's facilitated by some really exceptional people. Okay. Um, and that's because, you know, often, often what happens is that people start in a group setting for a couple different reasons. One, there's a sort of safety in numbers thing, right? Which is like, yeah, let's do this together. Second, there's, there's obviously there's a budget consideration, right? In terms of if it's in a group setting, then then it's you know it's it's a it's a sharper price point, and and also there's a, a social dynamic right in the sense that as people are having their own experiences and you do your sharing sessions the next morning etc. You can actually learn from their experiences and you can say like oh yeah you know I learned that the most important thing was self love like that's the most important thing and you go well I didn't have that experience but you can kind of take a little bit of that and say like yeah I, I could be more loving with myself right, right. and like. You know, after the session, go and do a little meditation around that or something like that. And uh, and so that's that's really nice. But then often what tends to happen is if the finances permit, people do move into doing this work uh, privately. And, and as I shared with you, like I made more than three and a half years of progress in just a couple in two ceremonies. I'm, I made way more progress uh, under a private setting just because. There's two therapists, you know, two healers that are just solely focused upon you and your journey. You're not distracted by anything else. It's just, you're, you're the focus, right? Right. Huh. Interesting. I mean, we all have, in my opinion, but we all have luggage baggage. You know, I'm 60, I'm going to be 62. So I've got, I've been through a lot of shit in my life. Yeah. And I've caused a lot of harm to people in my life that I don't, I regret. So that we all have that baggage inside of us. Mm. And like, I acknowledge that I've been working with the shaman once a month and we talk by Zoom, you know, and we open the Akasha records and, you know, talk about things and pull stuff out. And it's it's hard. Yeah. And when it, it gets deep and it gets hard it, emotionally. Yeah. And I, to say that I sit here and ball in front of a screen is the truth, you know, because mm-hmm. you're dealing with some deep stuff. That's beautiful. You know? that's and beautiful. we all have that. We do. All of us. Nobody's Nobody's perfect. 100%. So I think this is amazing. So where do you see this industry going in the future? Because this is just chip. This is just starting to catch fire. It is. It's at a very interesting juncture, actually, because there are capitalistic interests that are moving into this space at a, at a very rapid pace. Um, is that so bad you- or good? I think it's going to have some significant downsides, but it's going to have significant upsides as well, right? So I'll just kind of share a few different bits around it that um, 
So, so there's a lot of companies that are eager to claim a lot of real estate very quickly, right? right. Um, it's almost like, you know, if someone had just invented a hamburger and put it on television and now McDonald's needs to just, you know, get out there and claim, claim all the real estate. Now, obviously, the, these medicines are, are not legal at the moment. And so what people are doing is they're often setting up uh, ketamine or they're getting ready to do MDMA clinics. And they're claiming that that's, you know, psychedelic or, you know, because, because that's the revolution. The revolution is actually psychedelic, but there's, you know, there are benefits, don't get me wrong, to ketamine and MDMA, but there's a lot of downsides as well, right? There's a lot of addictive potential, you know, there's some spiritual realities in relation to these medicines that are not very well understood. And, uh, and honestly speaking, the, this, the changes are often not as well sustained uh, as they are with, with the plant medicines. But so there's a number of businesses that are out there trying to, you know, claim the land in preparation for, for psychedelic legalization and decriminalization. Then you've got some of these other companies that are, that are going, that are investing very deeply in the molecules themselves. So they're trying to patent uh, certain ways of creating plant medicines, right. Or synthetic versions of plant medicines. And I think, you know, the energy around the patenting stuff is like, yeah, okay. Like really that's that we're going to bring this same energy into this industry of, of plant medicine. So, you know, that's honestly speaking, I think that's a little disappointing to see. There was one company recently that uh, they tried to patent handing, holding someone's hand during psychedelic therapy. They tried to patent that so that if they, if, if, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, excuse my French, but wow. it's just fucking nuts, right? That's I mean, crazy. They're trying to patent compassion, right. like, like going, what do you, I mean, get out of here, right? right. Like, seriously, get out of here. So, so yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's, it's at an interesting juncture because there's a lot of, well, I should say there's a small pocket of what I would describe as people who have been in this industry for, or industry ecosystem for 30 or 40 years. They have such reverence and respect and they have such knowledge and, you know, they've been doing the work on, they've generally been doing the work underground for a long period of time. Right. And, you know, probably not that many clients, probably, you know, two or three clients a week, maybe even less than that. Right. right? Because intensive work. And then to see, you know, these companies building, you know, $1 billion IPO compass pathways a couple months ago, you know, you just, there's just very different energy coming into the industry. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, interesting to see the commercialization play out for us you know we we're a commercial business but what we're trying to do is is to guide our clients to really the highest quality plant medicine experiences with true experts that have been working in this place for in this space for a long time and also to provide them experiences that you know for for behold retreats to provide them experiences that don't mean that they're coming back in one month's time or three months time because life is returned to normal. Like our goal is to really help clients move far fast. And, and through that, they'll be able to, you know, to improve quality of life fundamentally. Because you're relatively new. You started last year about the same time. Yeah. So this is something that your, your retreats kind of driven you to. Where did the word behold come from? <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, so I think it's such a powerful word, right? Um, right. To, to respect something, right? right? To see something, to, to appreciate something, to, 
yeah, to, to what's the word to hold it in high esteem and regard. Right. And right. so the retreats themselves are very powerful experiences, but we want our clients to behold these retreats, right? We want them to do the preparation work, to do the integration work. And, and on these retreats, you know, when you have these moments of clarity and big breakthrough and big realization, it's that, aha, you know, behold. And, uh, and so to, to have those breakthroughs is really, those, those are the two primary reasons why we chose okay. Behold Retreat. Good, good word. Good word. I saw that when I was like, behold. And then as I dug into this, I was like, where did, I wonder how they got that, where that came from. But I, and I was thinking more biblically and spiritually as behold, like yeah. he, he appeared. Yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's a, absolutely, there's a spiritual link there. And the other one is, sorry, the other one is uh, be held, right? right. Um, I mean, you're, you're going to be at your most vulnerable uh, in these experiences. And so you want to be held through these experiences in, in more of a physical, emotional and, and spiritual way. But yeah, absolutely. I was just wondering if this is something you should do with a partner or, or a friend. I mean, I like a, a love partner, or versus a couple of buddies like you did. Mm-hmm. I'm just in my mind. I'm thinking if you're doing this with somebody that's a, a partner, a mm-hmm. love partner, and you, there's going to be some shit that comes out from the past. Hundred percent. And if you're at this retreat with that person and going through this with them, it could like go. To, I mean, your facilitator, I'm sure, directs it in in some some way, shape, or form. Hmm. Or manages yeah. it, I guess. Not directs it, manages it. Yeah. But I mean, I, would you recommend doing this something by yourself or with a partner? Or what do you what do you recommend if somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, my my, my wife and I want to come down for it and do this"? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think the the first thing I would say is that yes, absolutely. You know, two loved ones, whether that's you know family or friends or or partners absolutely can can and should do this work together. I think there's a few kind of preconditions, right, in terms of um, a partner in particular. If the two of you are really, you know, dedicated to one another completely and absolutely, then uh, then it's then it's great to do this work together. If there's if there's major questions that are there, then I would you know probably encourage people to maybe have their own individual experiences, right, rather than doing it together. And even if you know, you are together 100% committed to one another to actually make sure that, that during the ceremonies themselves that you're, own, you're each having completely separate individual uh, experiences okay. um, because that's just, that's just really the best thing is uh, not even sometimes, you know, sitting, sitting not next to one another can actually be a really good idea. Right. Um, so, you know, sitting far, far, a bit further apart from one another, having your own individual experiences and also just agreeing, you know, I've seen what I've seen couples do in the past is kind of agreeing the rules of engagement, right? Because often we want to have a lot of our own time to to process and, and digest. And so just to agree ahead of the retreat to say, if I say I need a little bit of my own time right now, that that's, there's no, there's no association with that of right. like, Oh, it means something about us. It's like, no, no, no. It means nothing about us. I just need some of my own time right, right. now. And so I encourage people to um okay. to at least think about that ahead of time. So some pre some boundaries set with with it. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So what's in it? What's where does it look for, for like for you behold in the future here going forward? Yeah. What's it look like going moving forward? I mean, what are your yeah, where are you going with this? So so for us, 
the big outcome, if there's one goal from this work, there's, there's so many benefits from doing this work, right? But if there's one goal that provides all of the benefits as byproducts, it's elevating consciousness. So elevating consciousness is peeling away those things that we are not, and we naturally rise up as we peel those things away. And so, you know, the, the way that I often frame this is that there's an emotional scale, right? So the lowest level emotions are things like shame, guilt, fear, apathy, grief, you know, those are at the bottom end of the scale. Then up the scale is where most of us are, you know, and, and those can be categorized. Those are generally take hold as inaction, right? So that's depression and, you know, really kind of like it's stopping you from, from moving forward. Then the next set of emotions are envy, anger, and pride. Uh, and those are emotions that generally lead us to hyperactivity, right? So that's when, you know, your brain's got a thousand and one ideas. You can go, 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 go. Um, now, I would say the, the overwhelming majority of the world, probably 80, 90% is in one of those two modes. Either they're in inaction or they're in hyperactivity, unfortunately. Then above that, we have um, emotions like willingness, neutrality, courage, acceptance, um, right? Which are more to do with, you know, people who are in these emotions. They think that life is good. They think that they're growing in their confidence. They have a sense of purpose and belonging. Above that is what we call uh, rationality, which is really peak cognition, right? In the rational sense of the word, right? So generally there we find the scientific luminaries, you know, quantum physics, blah, blah, blah. And then above that, you're entering into the spiritual. So it's a complete paradigm shift, right? So all the way up until then, you're operating in the rational world. Above that, you're out, you're operating in the in the spiritual realm. And so the goal for us is really to provide people the tools to elevate their consciousness in a short, you know, in that seven week period, but also to continue to do that work so that they can continue to move up the levels of consciousness. Now, what happens on one of these plant medicine experiences is you have this, boom, you know, you, you rise above this point into the spiritual realm above uh, on the scale, it's 500. So you go through 500 and then you come back down. And so as we're doing this work, what we're trying to do is actually to sustain the level of consciousness in a at above 500, right? So that's that's a real that's a real shift in paradigm from the head to the heart, right? From from thinking to intuition. And so when that um, when that breakthrough can can be sustained, that's a very powerful shift for people. So for us, you know, the problem that we're solving is is consciousness. And the more that we love ourselves, the more that we recognize that the problems in here, not out there, is the more that those people are taking very different action in the world, and they're taking action, not from a place of injury or from a place of I'm not good enough or it's not good enough, but it is good enough and I can improve it. And so when action is being taken from that place, it's it, it's fundamentally a very different set of actions that take place, which tend to have you know a very large positive flow on effect. And so for us, that's really, that's the goal of the work. We're, you know, we're, we're going to be quite focused on leaders, right? People who want to have a big impact in the world and do social good. And I think where we find ourselves collectively at this particular juncture, you know, I think there's, don't matter where you are on any political spectrum anywhere in the world, I think there's an agreement that we can we can do better and we we will do better. And so it's important that we all get behind that. <laughs> just this thought process went through my head about let's just pack up Washington and send them on a retreat. <laughs> <laughs> 
You know, I'm, I'm glad you said that. You know, um, one of the clients that has just finished their program, you know, he's he's working there in the government. He's high up. He's one of the, you know, he's one of the IT executives in the government. And so when I got on the phone with him, I'm like, great, awesome. We're going to, you know, and right. so slowly, 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 slowly. <laughs> They can even take a holiday for a month as far as I'm concerned. All right. You're all going on a retreat. (laughs) Absolutely. Pass that in the budget. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead and get get a hold of Jonathan and he'll hook you up. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Let's leave Syria alone for a whole month and we're going to go on, uh, we're going to go on retreat. Exactly. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Um, that's about all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm, I'm really, really curious of, of this. And I'm sure there are many other people out there that are curious about this. And what, where did, first of all, is there anything that I haven't touched base on that you would like to cover? You know, I think just to have faith, right? There, there is higher order at work. Like even this COVID situation, it's a powerful message. It's a very powerful message that we needed to hear. And I think there's almost, you know, now it's almost like there's this push through it, right? We're like, we're just going to push through this, this thing. And it's like, listen, listen to what we're being told, right? That when we do unnatural things in unnatural ways, and, you know, there's thinking that like, okay, this came from a bat, maybe it was the blood of a bat went to a pangolin, which is like this African animal. And then from there, it transferred to humans. Like we're doing unnatural things in unnatural ways. And when we do that, then we need to be prepared for unnatural results, right? right. Um, and, and, you know, nature, we are not more powerful than creation, life itself, nature, whatever it is that you want to call it. Right. It will correct itself and it will, and, and whatever is required in order for that correction to take place will take place. Right. And we can, we, so we can either align ourselves to the laws of the universe and thrive in absolute abundance because this world is abundant. Like let's, let's, you know, this paradigm that we're in where we think money is scarce is just a complete, it's a complete farce. You know, we use inches to measure distance and we use money to measure energy at the moment. But let's be clear, the, in, the, the energy in the, in, in the universe is infinite. And so it's, it's up to us to find the right ways to transmute energy in order for us to be in alignment with what the world requires. And I think that's, that will be, you know, over the next couple of decades, I think that's going to be our, our legacy in this period is like, here comes the stuff that is going to allow us to be in alignment with, uh, with the laws of the universe here on Earth. If we can terraform Mars, then we can terraform Earth. But let's start here first, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where can people find you? And I'll put the, I'm putting the links to Behold Retreats in there, your Facebook page, Instagram. LinkedIn, I know, you know, where can people find you and how do they, what's the first step? First step, we are, we're different than the other guys out there, right? The other guys out there, you can go click on their website and click book now. And, um, and then you're, you're going to a retreat. (laughs) I noticed that. Uh, We like to start just as you and I have done with the conversation. So we like to understand our clients where they're at and, and to decide whether it's in their best interest to work with us and whether our, our best interest to work with them. Um, and so Come through to our website, um, click on apply, and uh, you'll speak to either me or one of my great colleagues. Okay. All right. One question I ask about all my guests, it has nothing to do with health and wellness or the topic, 
is if Jonathan had an hour, 45 minutes, 30, 45 minutes to kill, what album or artist would you put on to chill to? Ooh. Bob Marley, Natural Mystic. Oh, nice. Nice. I love Bob Marley. I got a paddle board here, sits on my wall right here, and I got a little JBL speaker system, waterproof. I put it on the, tie it to the cooler and put it on the board on Saturdays and stroll down the Chattahoochee River listening to Bob Marley with a big smile on my face. Absolutely. Now all I, mean, I got to do is get some ayahuasca and drink that along as I'm paddling down the river. Well, that wouldn't be an official that wouldn't be an official recommendation from behold retreats okay no no that'd be the 70s tom floating down the river with the psilocybin you know but in saying that it's um 70s tom i just uh, i just rediscovered i hadn't listened to it in probably 15 years but i just rediscovered dark side of the moon and uh, i've given that through oh amazing amazing that would be that could be a really interesting day at the retreat with that yeah. album alone. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much, Jonathan. I appreciate the time today, and uh, I really, really grateful you reached out to me because I would have never thought of reaching out to you about this topic because I don't. It's been on my radar. I haven't dug into it. I just kind of because it's, it's it's a touchy subject in health and wellness, unfortunately. It but it needs to be. Not so touchy because it's very important because a lot of healing happens at these retreats yeah, and stuff, healing that needs to happen inside of ourselves. Let's face it. What's inside of here causes a lot of disease. It does. It does. It does. Really does. Yeah. The moment, the moment we see that we go, wow. Yeah. Wow. And especially in the world we live in, I mean, stress is the number one driver for disease. And, Absolutely. you know, and not, and that all comes from inside and we need to learn how to get it out, including myself. I'm not a saint to this. Mm. You know, I don't walk around with wings on saying like this, I've got it all figured out because I don't, you know, and this is something that I really want to do because I really need to, to figure it out at least be- before I leave this earth. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other, the other piece that's exciting is as we reconnect our neurology and neurophysiology and go deeper and detoxify, we have superpowers. Like, you know, some people it's intuition, some people it's clairvoyance, other people it's, you know, psychics. Like before you, you, you could have, the, you know, my parents were telling me stories and I was just like, get lost, like absolutely <laughs> under no circumstances believe in any of this stuff. And now I've, I mean, I've seen so much in terms of the power of individuals to tap into things. And it's just like, I know I went to someone, we went to breakfast and there was a strange plant and she touched it. And the moment she touched it, she had the name of the plant and she's going, Oh, wow. Like I was like, did you, did you, do you know the name of it before? And she's like, no, I just touched it and it came to me. It's just like, okay. Wow. Wow. (laughs) It's just like, wow, like that's connected, right? And it's like, wow. Yeah. And that was at a retreat? No, that was, we were just down down the road for breakfast. Okay. (laughs) Wow. No no plant medicine involved. Just touch the plant, knows the name. Wow. All right, buddy. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. It's been a real pleasure. 
Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.